Welcome to the Culture Revolution with Culture Connects. Please join us in a series of guests as we explore the future of all things culture. If you're interested in being on the show, please send an email to podcast at cultureconnects.com. And now, without further ado, your host and favorite culture geek, Lena Graves. Hello, friends. Lena here with Culture Connect. Super excited to be uh, welcoming my guest today, Dan Hirschfeld, CEO of Credit Care Management. Dan has also served as the president and CEO for multiple other healthcare organizations, and I'm super excited to have Dan share with us about his experience, where he is today, what he's done in the past, and how the COVID-19 crisis is affecting his company and his team member. Thank you, Dan, for joining me today. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and I appreciate you um, agreeing to spend time with me today. Thanks, Lena. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so let's just get started. I wanted to start having this conversation with you uh, by explaining to the audience, what do you do? Who you, obviously, I shared that you are the CEO of Chronic Care Management, but tell us about that role and tell us about prior roles that you've had, um, and we'll get started with that, and uh, we move forward with the rest of our questions. Sure, sure. So uh, chronic care management, we actually just completed an acquisition on May 1. So after we acquired that company, we actually took that company's name. So you'll find us as chronic care management or COSAN group, C-O-S-A-N group, which is actually Gaelic for bridge, a uh, path actually. So we're trying to build a path to a better future for the senior adults. So what chronic care management does is virtual care coordination on behalf of the physician. We also do behavioral health, providing support for people, the older adult again, uh, who feel isolated, depressed, or have cognition issues. And then we do remote patient monitoring. So we provide a tablet and they have a weight scale, a blood pressure cuff, a pulse ox. And then where clinically appropriate, we also do a glucometer, thermometer, or uh, measure the diabetes, the A1C. Uh, so that's what chronic care management is about. Um, and we'll talk more about it, I guess, since we are a virtual company. And prior to chronic care management, I spent the bulk of my career at Genesis Healthcare, which is a publicly traded company. And I was the president for the ancillary divisions. So the, the company is primarily a nursing home company with, uh, at the time, about 500 nursing homes. And during my tenure at Genesis, during those 23 years, I ran everything from the home health company to the hospice company, to the rehab company, to uh, respiratory, our staffing company, our managed care, our physician services. So a little bit of everything. So uh, broad exposure into a variety of different types of employees, clinicians, work settings, and customer profiles that I think helps to bring me to where we are today with chronic care management. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for doing all that amazing work. Uh, one of the things that is interesting as it relates to the crisis and everything that we're all dealing with is that your organization currently at chronic care management, uh, all of your staff works virtually. They do telehealth and um, your employees for the most part are all remote. So tell us how this current crisis has affected um, the the fact that your employees are working virtually is is that different for them now that they're not only virtually 
uh, for work, but they're also just having to sort of be isolated from the rest of the world as we deal with this COVID-19 crisis. How is that affecting your employees? And uh, is that change for you guys at all since this started? It's, it's yeah, I mean, <laughs> great question. And it's a challenge. Uh, I wish I had, you know, an answer or a silver bullet that would, would solve this. But yes, our employees are working remotely. But when we bring on an employee, a new hire, we do bring them together. Uh, we typically, in, in the past, had interviewed them over, the, uh, excuse me, in person, brought them together for training classes, and allowed them to build sort of the, a work group among themselves, so they had a resource to go to and help build that that relationship. You know, one of the big challenges that we have, and especially during COVID, is when you're virtual, especially sometimes with some of the Zoom meetings or um, other kind of video conferencing people are doing you're always sort of in the work mode and you're not really sort of taking, letting your hair down, so to speak, and then building those relationships. So it becomes really difficult for, I think, people to build the relationship, to have the support network, and quite frankly, have the trust uh, of others. So it's good, and, and we really try to enforce people to get on the Zoom meetings so they can see each other, so they're present, present in the meeting, uh, they're not multitasking, but it's, it's a challenge. Uh, I do think COVID's gonna change things forever, to be perfectly honest. I think people will be more open to having Zoom meetings. I think people will be more open to working from home, but it creates a lot of challenges, trying to have people feel like they are connected. And I think in particular, you know, if you look at our people who are working remotely to begin with, and then on a personal level, they can't socialize with anybody, Right. It's sort of a double whammy. So if you're working from your home, you know, that's one thing. But hey, if you can go out and see friends in, in person or go out to have dinner, that helps to minimize some of the isolation. And again, now everybody's got this isolation. So I think it's particularly uh, challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And you share something important uh, because it is definitely different today. We live in a virtual world as it relates to COVID-19 now, but Prior to that, you, your employees did have the opportunity to come on site and do an orientation, sort of speaking, get to meet some peers and get to spend some time with other people. So by the time they went virtually, they at least had a somewhat of a relationship with people and they could build from there. I think the challenge then becomes now where we have to do all of that virtually, where we have to develop those relationships from the beginning, now that you're having to do virtual orientation, virtual onboarding, all of those things are taking place virtually. So it makes it a lot more challenging to be able to have people connect with their peers and see who they are going to be closest with, so to speak, as, it, as now they have to do everything virtually. And like you said, to add to that, then they also have to feel that isolation. So they may have more of a need to be connected with people at work today than perhaps they did in the past, simply because now that part of their lives is also pretty isolated. So thank you for sharing that, that's, that's very interesting. And I'm sure that we are all trying to learn what this new normal is going to look like because we know that we're not going to back to life as we knew it in the past. And we're gonna to try to figure it out what's going to be the best way to maintain and engage workforce as we go through this process. So thank you for sharing that. So talking about engagement, what are some of the things that CCM uh, is doing to maintain your workforce engaged during during this time, keeping in mind that again, there 
virtual employees and now they're also facing the isolation what are, what are some of the tools or things that you guys are doing to uh, have people stay motivated and not feel down like sometimes we all get with this um, current crisis going on yeah and again so before we were all conference calls we got all virtual now you're zoom so you can't see people that does help when we used to have meetings in the old days, way back when, you can see us now, right, being our grandparents. When I was when I was a kid, you know, we used to actually get together and meet with people. Um, but even then, we tried to have fun and we have icebreakers and things that would would help people to get to know each other. So, you know, questions like, you know, tell me something no one else would know, or ten secrets, or you know, two truths and a lie, or something else like that. Just a little bit of fun to get to know people. You could still do that over Zoom, so at least you have a, a personal connection. Um, and, and one of the things that we do, and I think this is really important, is we are in the healthcare business. We're dealing with the older adult. We're dealing with folks who have multiple chronic conditions, and they're dealing with isolation and perhaps depression. And so it's emotionally very taxing for our people when they're on the phone talking to these folks and you can't sort of cure them right you can't go out right. and say okay go out and see your grandkids you know so right. so it's it's really tough to take on this emotional burden of people you're talking to all day long so one of the things that we do is we celebrate successes you have to be able to say hey step back here's the great impact that you had and and celebrate that otherwise i just sort of see this as you know sort of a, a emotional bank where you're just taking out taking out taking out and you need to refill the bank occasionally with these success stories and there are a lot of them and so i think that's part of what we're trying to do is to share those successes remind people why we're here and why we are doing it and the impact we have and literally starting every meeting to talk about the good that we're doing so I think that helps get people through some of the challenges that we have. And then just one more note on that. A lot of our staff are clinicians and clinicians by their training are taught to look for deficits, right? right. So dealing with the therapist back in the day, let me do an evaluation of you. Let me see how I can help you. You know, you, are you at risk for falls or do you have a, an issue with mobility or, you know, getting dressed or, you know, cooking or anything like that. And so that's what clinicians are taught is to look for the deficits so they can address the deficits and help the patients. Well, they're not focused on the successes. It's sort of the right. inverse. And again, you just have to keep reminding them of all the good that they do because it's not what they've been trained to do. Again, my experience with all these clinicians, you know, whether it be the physicians or the nurses or the therapists is it's, you know, I find the deficit, I address it, I provide good uh, hopefully good clinical outcomes and then I move on to the next one and that's what is expected of me that's my job right. and again I know I'm hounding on this but I just think emotionally all of us need to be able to celebrate these successes yeah absolutely and I love that you share that because the truth is is that it's very easy uh, I, I can relate to that a little bit as an HR professional during a crisis right it's we're always taken on all of the concerns and issues and how to solve problems. So by, by default, we're helping people solve problems and then we often forget to celebrate those successes. And so I think that from a healthcare perspective, being able to look at the outcomes and have the leadership be the ones who remind the team members of all the successes and all the positive outcomes that their sacrifices are 
constant on those patients would definitely add something that I, I imagine would energize those people to keep going back day in and day out, even though times are very stressful and clearly very stressful for healthcare professionals today, even more so for healthcare professionals dealing with the vulnerable population, which is the elderly population that your employees are dealing with. And I would say just that point on the HR front, if you're in that arena, step back and look at the successes. I always said that when I hired somebody, when they said yes, by the way, you know, we wanted to have a touch point with somebody in the organization until they showed up for work to make sure that they felt valued and everything else. And then day one was critical. You had to have first impressions or everything. So you had to have a successful uh, day one. It didn't mean you did everything means you do it do uh, talk about the expectations here's what's going on with your onboarding there it takes one weeks two weeks whatever it might be but to me it was always that when that person went home that night and they said to their significant other you know how was it did you make the right decision the answer has to be yes so when you think about the role of HR and the power of first impressions and the power of making sure that that new employee felt valued it's okay, you know, it's not okay. It's, if the IT didn't have the computer there, it should be there. But the, the HR can help make that first day and the first impression, which has the, the impact on people's lives for years. Right. And so again, I would say everybody in every role should take a look at their role, what they can do and how they define success and celebrate those successes. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's so important because you're absolutely right. Our employees are definitely always going to remember what that first day was like. Good, bad, or indifferent, they are going to have that lasting memory of what that first day, how welcome they feel, uh, the people that they interacted with, how much support they provided, that they have to be the ones asking all of the questions and all of that. So absolutely, that's definitely a huge opportunity for HR and one that I always share with uh, my fellow HR professionals of the importance of that impact that uh, people will have on the first day uh, on the job. Thank you for sharing. So on that note, uh, this would be something important for many other leaders to hear about because sometimes it gets so challenging to reach so many people. You know, the bandwidth gets, you know, the, the higher the role is with larger organizations or, or depending on what you're you're doing, it gets a lot more difficult to reach a number of people. And so what do you, uh, particularly do as a CEO frequently to ensure that the staff feel your presence even in an environment like the one today where you are fully virtually in general and even more, even more so virtually as it relates to this current crisis? What, what would normally be your strategy to make sure people feel like you're always there for them? So I'm sure the listeners have heard, like in real estate, you talk about what's the most important thing? It's location, location, location. So I would say that one of the most important things is communicate, communicate, communicate. And that's really, I think, is my role as the CEO is to make sure that people understand why we are here, what is expected of them, how they are doing, and how we can support them to help them be a success. So I think it's really important that we have all sorts of communications. We used to use the predictive index. So it's a personality profile that would tell us just innately how people operate, no good, bad, or indifferent, just people are different. And so we made sure that we had different communications for different learning styles. Some people are verbal, some people are visual. And so we wanted to make sure that we took that into consideration when we communicated and 
in particular, if you're going to roll out something new or a new initiative or something's going on, COVID would be a great example, again, where you want to have multiple ways that will touch the recipient of the information. So if it's a very long email, a lot of people may say, hey, I'm not going to read all that stuff. So right. maybe, again, you need a little two-minute or one-minute blurb that you record or maybe there's something else where you have people on a call and you do it interactively. So I think it really depends. You have to look at their learning style, but you can't communicate enough in my opinion. And then, you know, in my past, we would deal with in some of the situations, high turnover. And so one of the things to help decrease the amount of turnover was focus. So I would set aside an hour a day dedicated of my time, dedicated to try to build a culture where we could attract and retain the best clinicians. And so again, I would say that if you're the CEO and you believe that communication is key, then what time are you setting aside for yourself that's focused on this communication to your team? And again, that's part of making yourself available. So I personally believe you have to walk the talk and you need to communicate, find different ways of communicate and make yourself available. Because again, you I assume you wouldn't want your staff doing something that you're not, right? So if you're communicating, then as you have the different layers within the organization, those folks too will communicate, it will be expected of them, and it'll become part of your pattern of communicating to make sure that people are in the know. Again, one of the things that, you know, throughout my career, I was exposed to different people where they believed that knowledge was power. The more knowledge they had, the more power they had. Quite frankly, I found that stifling. I believe knowledge is power. The more knowledge everybody has, the more power there is for the organization because that way people know what they need to do and you don't have to tell them what to do. Huge paradigm shift. It takes an investment. It takes work. But I believe it, it, has, it will pay huge dividends. Absolutely. And that's a great segue into my next question because it talks about how uh, leaders, how you can encourage other leaders. And it definitely comes from that top level of communication where you as the CEO have made the decision that I am going to communicate and I'm going to over communicate and make sure that our employees know that I am always available and so are the other leaders. So, so with that in mind, how do you encourage other leaders in your organization to maintain positive and also to keep their staff motivated? Like what things do you encourage your leaders to do? Because we're all kind of getting the beat down, particularly as it relates to this crisis right now. And is we're all on uh, putting out fires mode 24 seven. And how do you keep those leaders motivated so they can then in turn motivate their team members? I think the first thing is to understand we are in uncharted waters and unprecedented times, and therefore things have to change. So specific to us in our work environment, we had certain productivity standards that we would expect from our employees. And again, by and large, they're working at home. But now they're working at home and their kids are home and or their, their spouse is at home. So the work environment's changed. And so we had to recognize that and we had to set a different expectation for the work level. And then again, so that's, that's one is just sort of recognizing the situation again and then communicating that throughout. And then emphasizing the importance of communication through managers throughout the organization and letting them know this is an expectation of what I want you to do. Just like I set aside time, I expect them to set aside time because it's important, right? 
if you don't set aside time, the day just flies by. Next thing you know, you didn't communicate. You didn't spend the time to do that. You have to set it aside. So that's an expectation that I, I have for everyone. I expect them to as well embrace the successes and talk about the successes again. We talked about every person, every department may have different successes, but we all have them. And let's celebrate them. And quite frankly, let's look for them. Right? right. So again, so we just don't like a speed bump. Don't run right over them. Let's look for the credit, the uh, the successes that we've had that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important because quite often we can just continue going and moving and moving and forget to look for those successes. And they're there. They're all over the place. It's just that we have to be intentional about that behavior. So thank you for sharing that. Um, how important do you think it is for organizations to maintain their focus on workplace culture? during a crisis like this? And the reason why I ask this question is because during a situation like the crisis that we have going on, clearly we all jumped into this pretty much overnight. Nobody had time to, to plan. It was just on Friday, we're going to work and on Monday, we're all remote. And it, so it really happened overnight. And it's very easy for organizations to say, forget culture, forget all of that nonsense. Right now, we need to focus our attention on putting out fires and learning how to live in this new world that we have. But of course, you and I both know that anytime we push culture and the importance that we give our employees aside, then the company will, will start to suffer. So how, do you, how important do you think it is for organizations to focus their attention on culture right now during this crisis? Well, I actually think crisis shows the real culture of an organization. So, you know, I think that during growth times and good times, um, culture is not sometimes as evident unless you really are focused as an organization on it. Uh, a friend of mine worked in the financial industry uh, and I remember talking with him and he had had 17 straight years of year over year over year of growth and nothing but good times. And the perspective that they had, that industry had, in terms of how they approach the employee and what they have they invested and so forth was completely different than in healthcare, where healthcare, where so many dollars are, are subject to reimbursement under Medicare or Medicaid or the insurance companies, and they're always changing reimbursement. And it's tough. It's like a, a pendulum and they don't get it right. So it's often where it swings too far and has some really negative consequences. So healthcare is sort of used to these challenging times. Uh, that I think, again, why you have to focus so much on culture all the time in the healthcare industry, because you're going to have the ebbs and flows. So again, I think that tough times shows the true culture of an organization. I think, again, that you need to have the understanding of the situation that you're in. I also think you have to have a bit of an optimism out there. There's got to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully it's not a train that's right. coming to hit you. But, but you got to have something to look forward to and, and, and a purpose to get up for and, and know that you're making a difference. And so many times, you know, if you're in an organization, especially in large organizations, you may not have visibility into what your individual role is in, in terms of contributing to the overall organization. That goes back to before to communicate, 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 where if you're the supervisor of that person, you know, when I started out, I was just doing uh, accounting in a department and really didn't understand the impact that that had on the total organization. And so didn't feel valued, didn't feel there was a purpose. And I 
once somebody helped show me my role and the impact I had, I really felt empowered. I felt significant. I felt that I was contributing to the overall organization. So again, I think that's really important is to, to really, as a supervisor, as a manager, look at your people and see the company, the workflow through their eyes and try to have that empathy and try to then build that relationship to help them feel valued. It takes time. All this takes time, but it's all an investment. And I'm telling you, if you make the investment, the return on that is huge, whether that be retaining uh, employees, whether employees are now empowered and able to work at the highest functioning level and being able to problem solve on their own or come up with creative solutions or things that you never even thought about in terms of innovation. All of that's worthwhile if people understand the purpose, their role of themselves as well as the company overall. I love that and that's such a, such an important thing. I was thinking about when you were talking about culture and how important it is through crisis to manage the culture of the organization. And I, I clearly am a firm believer that if you let your culture go during this time, this is what your employees are going to remember in the future. So clearly whatever your culture is during this crisis is what is going to shape what your organization looks like. And your employees might continue to hang in there for an extended period of time beyond this crisis, because clearly we have over 30 million people unemployed and, you know, it's probably going to be a tough employment market beyond this. But at the end of the day, they are going to remember how we make them feel during this crisis. And you might get to keep them for a little while longer, but people may very well remember exactly what this looked like for them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that companies that laid people off or had to furlough people were, were the bad guys. That's clearly not the case. So many people had to do that in order to be able to survive. This, this is just what was happening. But at the end of the day is how you communicated. So going back to your point of communication, how you communicated those changes that your organization were, was going through whether it was through layoffs or simply having to cut hours or whatever is it that you had to do and how you maintain culture during that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and that's a great point, Lena. I mean, one of the things I'd say is as a manager, there's nothing harder than furloughing or laying somebody off. That person did not do something wrong. You know, it's a function of the economy or some other environmental change out there, and it is devastating to that individual. So I would also say to managers, there's a bit of a survivor's guilt. Uh, there's survivor's guilt on people on the team that may not have been laid off or furloughed. Right. The manager may have some, and it is just the hardest thing to do to somebody. And of course, it's the hardest thing to be the recipient as well, because you are furloughed, you are unemployed, and you don't know if that job's gonna be there in any, in any industry or in this climate, what the future looks like. So again, that's a great point that you brought up and I just wanted to emphasize it. That goes back to empathy and understanding. It's scary, really scary. It is. The other part that I wanted to mention from your statement is how important it is through communication to get down to every level of the organization and let that person know how their role impacts 
the overall performance of the organization. I don't think that we often take the time to do that because we just assume that everybody knows what they're doing and, and more than likely they do. But sometimes people like yourself earlier on are struggling with understanding the purpose. I know I went through that at some point in my career where I just didn't know. I know that I was doing a good job at whatever I was doing, but I just didn't know how that was impacting other people and it wasn't until my leaders came to me and started talking to me about here is here's what happens as an hr person whether it's as an hr assistant or manager or whatever role i held they share with me how having those conversations answer and answer answering questions for those employees um, whether it was a benefit question or whatever questions they had they I, when i explained that and when they explained that to me i was able to understand that it was affecting those individuals in a positive manner uh, you couldn't be more right. Um, my daughter, for instance, uh, as a manager in a company, got a email from a vice president. And, you know, the vice president, who knows if they were really thinking about the impact. But my daughter was so excited to be recognized by a simple email of saying thank you from a vice president. So oftentimes, we don't, again, understand the impact of our actions and the positive impact can be so great. Something so simple. How long does it take to say, nice job, good job, you know, thank you or whatnot. And I had another situation where I actually had an employee who was joining the organization and uh, several layers down from where, where I was at the, at the time, the organization, but wrote an email just saying, you know, excited to have you joining us, looking forward to meeting you. Please stop by my office, you know, if you're in the corporate office. And I did meet that employee a couple of weeks after they started. She told me the story that she got my email. She printed it out and put it on her refrigerator. And again, you talk about positive first impressions and everything else. Don't take for granted those actions and how impactful they are and how I mean, easy they are to do. <laughs> Sorry. No, correct. That's that's probably one of the most important things about that is how easy that is to do, right? And sometimes we don't realize the impact until somebody tells you, hey, I printed, you know, this was printed and put in my fridge, or it was so nice to receive this message, or oh my gosh, the CEO responded to an email that's, you know, for some people, based on whatever they come from, that might be unheard of. Get a welcome email from their CEO when they first start on the job, that's unheard of. So all of those things that may seem so small to some people, they're huge to the people who are receiving that, and that's so important. You know, speaking of which, I know we're rambling a little bit here, but uh, on the recruiting side, um, I would always tell the recruiters, look, I'll help you any way possible. I've got a good title. So if they had somebody who was sort of on the cusp and hadn't made that decision yet, I personally would call the candidate. And it, it was a bit intimidating, I guess, for them, but it was sending a message that you're important, that right. I would take the time to call, make myself available. And, you know, again, that, that impact, you know, I would tell the recruiters I had a 100% conversion rate. So, you know, right. I was doing a better job recruiting to them. And then just another little uh, secret that we did is that when somebody would join the organization, that recruiter and I often would record a little video and of course, the recruiter was telling me a little bit about the employees, so I, I knew more about them and make this a personal video. Honestly, they were 30 seconds or less, and we would send it to the new employee. And I remember doing this to a couple of employees that were new grads, and they were sending it to their 
peers who were graduate who just graduated college who just started and they didn't have a video from the CEO. So again, right. it doesn't have to be from the CEO. It could be from any level in the organization, the impact. So even if they're just a peer of yours, and if you took the time to just do a video and say, hey, Lena, welcome to the organization, excited to meet you, you know, stop by my desk next time you're in. A quick video like that, doesn't somebody feel uh, welcome in the organization? Amazing. So, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I love that. I love that because that's what that's what culture is all about. Of course, you know, I'm super passionate about workplace culture and it's all of those little things. I always relate back to uh, the video from Simon Sinek where he talks about, do you love your wife? And, you know, do you know the day that you fell in love with your wife? No, you don't know the exact day. Was it one single thing that you did? Was it because you bought her flowers on the anniversary or whatever series of things? It was not the one single thing. It was not the one single day. Is that all of those events that led to that feeling of love for that person and that feeling of care. And that's what happens. The same thing happens in an organization is all of those little things that for a leader to take 30 seconds out of their time to record a video might seem like something insignificant for the recipient on the other uh, hand might be something huge. So thank you for that advice. Uh, and then the last question I have, because I know we, we oh, I'm sorry, you wanted to add something? No, good. I'm good. Okay, so the last question I had for you so we can wrap up is, uh, of course, during, during situations like this, I talk to multiple HR professionals, I try to coach HR professionals and how to reach uh, their CEOs and CEOs and the executive team and get buy-in from them. Um, but of course, better to hear from an actual CEO on what would be important for HR professionals to share with a CEO, a CEO, with an executive in the team to get buy-in regarding the importance of maintaining and promoting workplace culture. What would, what would you say that an HR professional can bring to you and you can say, okay, absolutely, I, be I believe in this or here is how we can share information and here is how you can have that seat at the table to be a part of uh, the decisions that we make related to workplace culture. So, so clearly I, I'm all in on culture and I'm a big believer. Depending upon the organization and your CEO, um, they may have a different approach. So, you know, I would say you have to do it sort of one step at a time. And just as we gave a couple examples during our conversation today, maybe try some of those and, and, and document sort of the feedback that you're getting if it takes it sort of one step at a time to be able to convince them to see the impact that's what i would do i would be relentless but i think you have to understand the audience how right. willing they are to accept it uh, and and how willing they are to make a personal commitment themselves to the culture if you the hr team and i, I again i'm not you know a big fan of the word hr uh, i like culture better because i think that's really what it's about but if you're saying one thing, doing one thing, and the CEO is acting differently, then people aren't going to believe that really is the culture of the company. So it's absolutely critical that they believe and they're committed and that they walk the talk. So again, it may take time to get them, the CEO, to buy in. You have to read the audience. And I would look for success stories and try to see what you could do to help foster it and try different pilots, try to get feedback. Um, again, different personalities. Some people want that empirical evidence. Uh, other people right. may want, want different ways of understanding the, the what's going on. 
Uh, but again, I think it just depends on how your CEO is and how you interpret their understanding and willingness. Yeah, that, that's so important. And I think that brings quite a bit of light to, to this discussion for us to end it here. Uh, one of the things that I picked up on what you said is don't try to be out there promoting this amazing culture or whatever we have in the bulletin board as far as what the company values are, but then you see the actions of leaders, whether it's the CEO or other leaders within the organization, be completely different and reflecting something completely opposite from where you're promoting. So I think when it comes to culture, it's critical that we are genuine and that we are honest and sincere and transparent with the people that we're bringing on so that they truly understand what the culture of the organization is because then they feel like if you weren't transparent if you weren't honest and you sold this this is the amazing culture of the organization we're compassionate we care about your employee about our employees but then it turns around and the leaders show something completely different that could be a complete turndown for uh, for somebody joining the organization and clearly wouldn't provide that um, amazing first experience that we were talking about earlier today exactly exactly well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. This was very informative. I appreciate you taking the time to join this discussion today. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap it up? No, no, I just thank you very much for having me. And uh, again, love uh, the idea of pursuing the best culture out there because it's just so important for what we do. Thank you, Dan. Lena here with Culture Connects. If you would like to be a guest in the podcast, please send an email to info at cultureconnects.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in to the Culture Revolution. Please join us next time as we continue our mission of exploring the unique perspectives of culture. If you want to join us on our next episode, please send an email to podcast at cultureconnects.com.